0: Today's scripture is from John 12, 1, uh, through 19. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, the home of Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. They, there they gave a dinner for him. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those at the table with him. Mary took a pound of costly perfume made of pure nard, anointed Jesus' feet, and wiped them with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume, but Judas Iscariot, one of, the, one of his disciples, the one who was about to betray him, said, why was this perfume not sold for 300 denarii and the money given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. He kept the common purse and he used to steal what was put into it. Jesus said, leave her alone. She bought it so that she might keep it for the day of my burial. You always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. When the great crowd of the Jews learned that he was there, they came not only because of Jesus, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests planned to put Lazarus to death as well, since it was on his account, since it was on account of him that many of the Jews were deserting and were believing in Jesus. The next day, the great crowd that had come to the festival heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, as it, was, as it is written, do not be afraid, daughter of Zion. Look, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first. But when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written of him and had been done to him. So the crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to testify. It was also because they heard that he had performed this sign that the crowd went to meet him. The Pharisees then said to one another, you see, you can do nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. This is the word of the Lord.
1: good morning morning. thanks Nicole for reading all that scripture Um, It was a lot Um, I feel like you read the scripture the last time that I was up here preaching it It also was long (laughs) great we should just like be a team like we should just come together as like a package deal no okay sweet okay great we will work out the details (laughs) Um, good morning good morning welcome to Christ City Um, my name is Andrea I'm on staff here uh, with Christ City, and um, yeah, we're here. How you guys doing? Okay. We've like moved around and we've high fived, and I was thinking when Amy was doing that, I was thinking I should make we should carry that along into the sermon, so that anytime I say disciples, and I'm gonna say it a lot, or anytime I say I don't think I say town. What I really want you guys is just to yell a lot. So I just think it would be fun, pure chaos. Total experiment. Um, no, that was fun, um, and I hope it's kind of gotten you guys loosened up a little bit. Um, so today is Palm Sunday. Yeah, y'all, we have like done our warm up. Can I? Yes. Thank you, David. Always there for me. Um, today is Palm Sunday, and yes. You just keep that going. Keep it going. Um, this is an exciting day. It's an exciting week. We're stepping into what is known as Holy Week. Um, and so this, this week, every year, we remember the foundations of the Christian faith. Different traditions celebrate and observe um, this, this week in, in different ways, in various ways, um, some even up to and including every day of the week. For the Christ City community, for us here, Uh, We'll be observing three days of this week together. So we'll today, which is Palm Sunday, we'll look at Jesus's journey into Jerusalem. Friday is known as Good Friday. And uh, we'll be together then as well. And we will remember how Jesus was tried, executed, buried. um, And we will, we'll sit with that together on Friday. And then next Sunday is Easter Sunday. Yes, when we will come together and celebrate and remember together that Jesus walked out of the tomb he was buried in and then changed the world forever. And we get to do that together during Holy Week. And it's, Holy Week is such a good, hard week. Um, I know Nicole already said this, but just as a quick reminder, we're having a Good Friday service here at Minor at seven on Friday. It's Good Friday, so that's how you remember, it's on Friday. Um, And then next week for Easter, we'll be having two services, one at 9 and one at 1030. So I hope that you can join us um, for both of those um, so we can be together and observe uh, these just really holy times of remembrance that we can do that together. So I I love Holy Week. I love Easter. um, But I feel like this year I've been realizing that there's this tension that's sort of held in this week. Um, I remember Palm Sundays as a kid. We didn't do this. Um which I wish that we had because my children just lost their minds just now. Um, but yeah. I, <laughs> I remember Palm Sunday as a kid being really joyful. Um, you know, there were palms and, and you know, that's right to celebrate. But I, I think that now, um, the more I think about it, the more that I've kind of stepped into being like, this is Holy Week. This is what we're observing. I think because we know the whole story, um, we... We have to remember that as we celebrate Jesus as king with our palms on this day, we also need to remember that he's where he's going, he's headed into Jerusalem and will be put to death. Next weekend on Friday, we're, we're going to sit, when we sit on Good Friday together, Good Friday is heavy and, and it can be really hard, um, and then, but then we'll turn to Sunday and then we'll celebrate. So it's like back and forth, both. It's both of these things. Um, Holy Week, I think, feels like such a reminder that we live in this space um, where the kingdom of God has come, but not yet in its fullness. So we can celebrate the hope of the fullness of the kingdom on Easter without yet experiencing it. I think that's what makes it so compelling to us as humans and just this in-between space. So today uh, we're going to be looking at what is, I guess, the traditional Palm Sunday scripture and story. We're going to look at it in John where Jesus arrives to Jerusalem to a victor's welcome. I think this story is one of the clearest images of the inauguration of the kingdom of God, like what Jesus comes to do. And I've, I've been thinking a lot about the kingdom of God this week too. So we're at the tail end of what has been an over a year long series uh, on the Gospel of John. We've talked about the life that God invites us into and the kingdom that's coming. And while it's really hard to nail down like a specific definition of the kingdom of God, the language that we use here, that we've been using here to describe it, is the kingdom of God is God's rule and reign in every life and every sphere of life. So it's God's rule and reign in every life and every sphere of life. It's in our vision statement as a church that we would see the kingdom of God on display in DC. Um, Each week when we gather together here at Minor we pray out loud in one voice like we did this morning that God's kingdom would come, that God's kingdom would come on earth, that we would be able to experience in the here and now a time and space where God's will, which is what God wants to happen, actually happens. So we, we ask that together every week. So yeah, I've been thinking about the kingdom of God and sort of our place in it as I studied our, our text today and as we look towards uh, this week and Easter Sunday and just this tension of what it means that the kingdom of God is advancing while not, yet, not just yet in its fullness. So the place where our text picks up today uh, in John 12 is right after, after the resurrection of Lazarus, which if you'll remember from a few weeks ago, amazes the crowds that, um, that are following Jesus around and really frustrates the religious leaders um, of the people. Um, funny enough, I actually, because we've skipped around in John a little bit um, and haven't gone chronologically, I happen to be preaching on this section this previous section a few months ago, if you'll remember, we talked about um, Jesus the outlaw, Jesus being targeted, because after he raises Lazarus from the dead, um, there was this target on his back because of his increased popularity amongst the people um, by the religious leaders. They're targeting him and they're saying, he's too popular, we gotta get rid of this guy. So the section we're gonna look at today in chapter 12 contains three different narratives. So there's the story of Jesus with Mary at dinner there's, um, and, and Judas's reaction to this engagement, this interaction. That's the first one. The second one is uh, the development of like a plan to destroy the evidence of Jesus' power by killing Lazarus. We're going to hit that one. And then finally, there's Jesus' entry into Jerusalem. I think it's interesting because the previous chapter that we talked about when we talked about Jesus the outlaw was really focused on the things that that Jesus did, um, how he continued to reveal the kingdom of God by performing miracles and teaching about it. But in chapter 12, in this chapter though, um, we're gonna do a, a bit more of a character study by looking at the actions and the reactions of the people around Jesus. And I think that this is important because this kingdom life, it isn't just about what God does what, or what Jesus does. What we do, how we respond is also important too. So what's interesting about our role, I think, in the kingdom of God is that it's both active and passive, which is confusing, I guess. But in scripture, when the kingdom of God is talked about, it, it's never built or created by human hands. So we're not the ones who build the kingdom of God. We don't make it. Um, What we are responsible for though is receiving the kingdom of God. So we don't build it, but we do welcome the kingdom. We prepare for it. The kingdom of God is given to us. We can enter it. We seek the kingdom. We make room for the kingdom. We can pursue. We can chase after the kingdom of God. These are the ways that uh, the Bible talks about how we interact with God's kingdom. And as we look at today's text, I want us to look at the ways in which the different uh, people in the story, so Mary, Judas, the religious leaders, and the Jerusalem crowd engage with Jesus and also how they engage with this kingdom that he's inaugurating and what we can learn from them about the kingdom. So we're gonna look at each of them and then we'll also look at the way Jesus himself in the Palm Sunday narrative reveals the nature of the kingdom of God. And for each of these people that we're gonna look at today, they each present us with a question to consider as we engage with the text together. So that's where we're going today, cool? Cool. Okay, so we're going to turn to the text. Um, Our study today will start in John 12, and we're going to start with chapter 1, and we're going to start with uh, with Mary, the story of, of Mary in this section. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, the home of Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. There they gave a dinner for him. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those at the table with him. Mary took a pound of costly perfume made of pure nard, anointed Jesus' feet, and wiped them with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. So we're not given a, a lot of detail about this interaction, but actually there's there's sort of a lot here. Um, so Jesus has raised Lazarus, like we talked about, and now Um, On the way to um, the Passover celebration in Jerusalem, he's staying with Lazarus and his family, and they host a dinner. So this dinner is likely more than just their family. It was probably a a pretty crowded table in their home. And Mary does something that's very unexpected and maybe like a little bit scandalous, honestly. Um, She takes this expensive bottle of oil, and the, the text tells us that it was worth a year's wages. Like that's a lot, that costs a lot. So she takes this expensive bottle of oil and she pours it on Jesus' feet, which would have been the lowliest and dirtiest part of the body. Like you walk around in sandals in dirt. Um, so the feet were really gross. Um, so she pours it on his feet and then she wipes the, ex- the excess, she soaks up the excess with her hair. Why does she do this? Um, I think this is sort of a familiar story it is to me and I've never, I think, really considered, why does Mary do this? Um, We know from the previous chapter that Jesus has raised her brother from the dead. She, in, in no small part, is expressing her gratitude. She's expressing care and love for Jesus in a really intimate way. Having her hair down in the presence of men that were not her husband would have been against cultural convention, so kind of scandalous. Uh, But she does that anyway in front of a lot of people. Mary's actions here with Jesus are are not practical. They're not, like, efficient. They're not logical even, really. Her expression to Jesus here is extravagant. It's extravagant. So I'm, I'm like a, a, I'm a type A to-do list type gal. Uh, I'm a three on the Enneagram, if that means anything to you. Thank you. Threes stick together. We can run the world. But I am, so this is the kind of person I am. I thrive on like productivity and efficiency, like ways that things work. I want to do it the, the right way, the fastest way, so we can do more of it. So honestly, I don't, I don't get extravagance I don't get that. Um, honestly, in some ways, I feel like I agree with Judas when he chimes in later in the right after this. Why was this perfume not sold for 300 denarii and the money given to the poor? <laughs> A year's worth of wages that gets dumped on some gross feet? Like, yes, Judas, I feel you. Let's ask the question. Just ask the question. But I think that the, the thing that gets me here is that Jesus defends Mary's actions. He says, leave her alone. She bought it so that, you might, so that she might keep it for the day of my burial. You always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. He, de- he defends her, this extravagant gift that, he's, that she's giving him. I wanna be really clear here as a note that it is part of our responsibility in, in seeking the kingdom of God to care for the poor, to care for those who are at the margins of society. Jesus is not negating that. I wanna make that really clear. In contrast to that, Jesus is praising Mary's extravagant care for him. When we recognize the presence of Jesus in the world, in our lives, our response should not merely be just logical or measured. But it should be extravagant not careless but extravagant so i've i've um i've been thinking about the uh the trash murals that amy and the kids and the creative team put together after picking up litter around the neighborhood a few weeks ago one of them is still up today it's back here hanging on the wall so look at that if you haven't gotten a chance to look at it Um, i've told amy I i feel like i tell amy this a lot i do not get art I don't I don't get it Um, anybody else does everyone get art I don't get it I I, like like I said like I'm all for what's efficient and useful and I feel I just personally feel like art I haven't seen a lot of art that falls into those categories (laughs) I don't get it like to me when we clean up when we're like cleaning up the neighborhood I'm like yes let's pick up the trash and let's throw it in the garbage can and like let's keep moving because we can pick up more trash that way like efficiency right i mean to me in my mind that makes a lot of sense but i think what's what's so great about this is amy and the kids and the creative team decided to go further than being efficient i think that in these pieces they modeled for us what it means to be extravagant they took the trash that they collected they, clean, they cleaned it. I assumed you cleaned it. They, thanks, Amy. Um, they cleaned it. Um, but then they transformed it into something that was beautiful and powerful. And this kind of extravagance much better points us towards the coming fullness of the kingdom when all things will be right, when all things will be beautiful, when God transforms all things, even the discarded ones, into something beautiful. It's right for us to pick up trash. That, that's, it's right for us to do that. And it's also right for us to transform and create beauty. I, I think it's, it's hard to understand sometimes, like how can we possibly create things or celebrate things when the brokenness around us in the world and just even in our lives is so great that like, it's, it's oppressive sometimes. It's heavy. But, but it's the thing that, that we, we do anyway, right? We gather together. We sing loudly. We lift our hands and worship. We serve and we advocate for the needs of those who are marginalized even when we know the needs are overwhelming, are seemingly unceasing, unending. We feel like we're barely making a dent. We still do it. We celebrate one another in community, even when we fight and we disagree, even when we don't see eye to eye, even when we have to mourn things that happen amongst us. And why? We do these things because we recognize where Jesus's presence is, and where Jesus is, there is extravagance. And Mary teaches us this. And so in light of her actions, the first question I want us to consider this morning that we need to ask ourselves is what are we being asked to bring or give or do that may seem extravagant? This is a hard one for me. So that's the first question that we're going to consider this morning. I want to turn back to Judas in this story. He's also in this story. We're going to look at him too. So he's pretty annoyed with Mary here. Why was this perfume not sold for 300 denarii and the money given to the poor? He said this, not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief, he kept the common purse and used to steal what was put into it. So he doesn't actually care. He's just thinking about himself. And in his selfishness, he's completely missing the point. He is missing the opportunity to see the beauty of what's happening in front of him. And I mean, as we continue in the text, even if we keep going in verse nine, we see that the chief priests who were the religious leaders who had been plotting to kill Jesus are also blinded with selfishness. So verse nine, when the great crowd of the Jews learned that he was there, they came not only because of Jesus, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests planned to put Lazarus to death as well, since it was on account of him that many of the Jews were deserting and were believing in Jesus. So like I talked about when we talked about Jesus the outlaw in the previous chapter, the religious leaders were incredibly threatened by Jesus and the kingdom that he represented uh, because it infringed upon their own societal standing. So they try to shut him down by scheming how to get to, to not only kill him, but to get rid of the evidence of his latest miracle, this undeniable sign of the kingdom of God. They want to kill Lazarus too. Between them and Judas in our text today, we cannot deny that opposition to the kingdom is real. It's active, and it's real. It's the second thing that we're gonna think about today. So you all, you all, you all know Kit, Nikki, right? Nikki, our Kid City director, amazing person. If you don't know her, why not? You need to <laughs> do that. That's real. So Nikki and I are. Uh, very close friends. We also uh, work together. It's a lot. Um, but I'll say, I love her so much. The longer we are friends and the longer, especially the longer we are in ministry together, uh, we are learning to recognize spiritual attacks, like in our own lives and in each other's lives and in the life of the greater body. It, it's, it's terrifying to me. This is not something that like I'm, I'm comfortable with or like, have, have done a lot and sometimes I think with like spiritual attacks those are really tricky to um, to name and they're really tricky to even just see I think a lot of the time in um, full disclosure 2019 has sort of been like a, a stream of unfortunate incidences in my life so far I'm okay um, but I mean so my family moved we, we moved down the street but there were like some complications with that. I'm like in the middle of grad school, so you know, our children are just eating cereal every day and we're just fighting cuz everybody's tired and cranky and our house is a mess. Once we finally moved into that house, we had a super fun bout with bed bugs. That was awesome. Thank you for your pity. I take it and receive it. Like not even empathy. Give me your pity. I'll take it. So we had to pay a lot, we had to like pay a lot of money that we don't have to get rid of those. And then last week, I kid you not, last week, we got rid of the bugs and then this massive thing in our car, I don't even know what it was, this massive thing in our car broke and we had to pay all this money to fix this unexpected issue in our car. Um, Just like fun stuff like that where when it happens, it's like over and over and over and it's when you're trying to, I'm in finals week, I'm trying to prepare for a sermon, you know, trying not to hate my kids and my husband to honor the Lord, right? (laughs) We're going to keep it real here today. <laughs> and I'm not, okay, I, I'm not saying that all those things are spiritual attacks. I want to be really clear about that. That's not what I'm saying. Um, but what I will say is Nikki and the beautiful friend that she is to me has just been praying me through some hard days. And we, I just feel like we're always on the lookout for attacks. Bless her Lord. Thank you for Nikki. So the other day, <laughs> the other day. Nikki texted me out of the blue um, that she was telling me that uh, she's going on a trip, and she wanted to tell me that she had just reserved a rental car. And, um, and she goes, um, I got the rental car. I put full coverage on it. And I was, I was kind of confused, because I was like, OK. Uh, I don't have any context for what you're saying to me. Are you, do you need me to help you like walk through this? I don't know. So I, I texted her back, and I was like, you mean like insurance? Like, you put full insurance? Did you mean to do that? Like, do we need to like walk back and figure out how to get that taken off? you know this is what she texts me back this is legitimately our text Um, she goes things happen around the Christian Super Bowl which is how we refer to Easter around staff because of the crazy amount of things that that we do she goes things happen around the Christian Super Bowl and I was like fair and then she goes she goes I legit thought Satan is out to attack get the full insurance (laughs) And the rest of the text is literally just both of us, just ha, ha, haing the whole time. We're just, I was just cracking. I mean, I was saying amen, sister, and also just laughing. I mean, we're, we we just have this, it's funny, like it's comical at this point, our ultra-sensitive awareness. Like it's, it's, it's turning the corner into paranoia, like looking for any kind of attack. She's like, better get the full insurance, you know. Someone's gonna go down, it's Holy Week. Um, <laughs> and I mean, that's funny, that is funny, um, and probably a little bit true. Um, and I didn't tell her to, to to not take the full insurance, I was like, that's probably a good, that's a good idea. But um, I, I, I tell you that story because in earnest, one of the greatest lessons I'm learning in pursuing an occupation in ministry and serving this church community and being a part of the lives of people who are kingdom people, who are looking for where the kingdom of God is showing up and trying to get in on that. The thing. The greatest lesson, one of the greatest lessons I'm learning is that there is a Holy Spirit and there is an unholy Spirit. The kingdom of God is advancing, but not without an active force of opposition. From Ephesians, we know that our struggle is not against enemies of blood and flesh but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Jesus says elsewhere in Luke, whoever is not with me is against me, whoever does not gather with me scatters. There are those who welcome the kingdom of God and then there are those that resist it. There is an enemy. There is an opposing force that's actively trying to undermine the work of God in the world. Not just stop it from advancing, but to actively push it backwards. Like, it's so weird for me to talk about this. Like, I think it's a thing that we don't talk about a lot. Because it's weird, and some of us have weird baggage around that. But y'all, there is, there is an enemy. And if our eyes aren't open, He's sneaky. He is sneaky. The Pharisees <laughs> at the end of this passage, they realize that, that uh, everything that they've, their efforts to, to stop this advancing king, Jesus, have not been working. And they do this like super dramatic thing at the end of the passage when they're like, uh, see, you can do nothing. Look, the entire world has gone after him. Mm-hmm. But, but then after that, they continue to plot ways to to kill him and get rid of him I mean this is a complicated topic we don't talk about it a lot but I think the question that we must wrestle with this morning from our text the second question is where do we see opposition to the work of Jesus do you recognize that there is an active opposition to the kingdom in obvious ways and in subtle ways There's evidence of opposition to the kingdom all around us. It's in the systems and structures of our society. It's in this like fast paced, crazy culture that we live in. There's evidence of opposition to the kingdom even within our own hearts. We gotta face that too. We oppose the kingdom of God when we don't live within the rhythms God has laid out for our health. When we depend on what we produce and what we create for ourselves to determine our worth when we fail to make room and make way for the kingdom in our own hearts and in the world around us. That's opposition to the kingdom of God too. If we're not receiving it, we're opposing it. So where, where do we see opposition to the work of Jesus and where do we see opposition to the kingdom of God? The last section of our text this morning is... uh, what my Bible headlines as Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Your Bible probably says something similar. Um, And this is like the the Palm Sunday narrative, which is great. Um, So we're going to read it. We'll start at verse 12. The next day, which was after the dinner at Lazarus, Martha and Mary's, the great crowd had come to the festival. The great crowd that had come to the festival heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him shouting, Hosanna, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, as it is written, do not be afraid, daughter of Zion. Look, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, they remembered that these things had been written of him and had been done to him. So the crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead, continued to testify. It was also because they heard, they heard that he had performed this sign that the crowd went to meet him. So at first read, I mean, again, I have just these very particular associations with celebrating Palm Sunday in this story. Um, I think at first read, it, seems, it almost seems like a pretty great ending to Jesus' ministry. Like he's like coming in to like a parade he's being celebrated by all the people who are who are now convinced of his ability to raise the dead and perform miracles because they saw him do it and now they're like oh he's legit we're gonna be here as he comes into into Jerusalem they're all waving palm branches they're all praising him um, but I think I think just the more I've, I've looked at the story and thought about it, I think we need to understand and remember that the crowd of Jesus, the crowd of people that were cheering for Jesus and lining the street for, to greet him on palms, on what we call Palm Sunday is comprised of the same people that will less than a week later be calling for his execution. I'm like, why? Like, what happened? I think to figure out why this happens, we have to look more closely at the people's expectation of Jesus as he enters Jerusalem. So... At the time of of Jesus, the Jewish people had been through multiple invasions and multiple occupations. So there was Assyria, there was Babylon, Persia, Greece, and now they were being occupied by this very oppressive Roman state. So in the Old Testament, through the prophets, God had promised God's people a king and a time of peace and prosperity. So the people are right to be expecting... A liberator or a messiah a saving leader that would lead them to national autonomy and prosperity but the thing is they were expecting this king to be a political figure one who could lead a military victory against Rome and deliver their nation from Rome's oppressive arm so when they see Jesus perform miracles like feeding the 5,000 healing people raising Lazarus from the dead they rightly take those things as signs that Jesus is the one that they have been waiting for. The one who would inaugurate and usher in this new era of political prosperity. Do you remember back in chapter six, um, after Jesus feeds the 5,000 in John six, he, Jesus recognizes that the people were going to force him to be this kind of king and he withdraws to the mountains to avoid that. So like it's been building up. This is what they're looking for in a leader, and they think that it's him. That's why they wave palm branches on the way on Jesus's way to Jerusalem. So palms were a symbol of victory. So when um, when a king or, or like a great military leader returned from war, as the victor, there would be like a welcome parade in which the the people would wave palms as the leader entered the city on a horse to celebrate the victory and the end of a conflict. This is why they're waving palms. This is what they're expecting of Jesus. They waved their palms as he rode into the city in expectation of his political victory over Rome and a time of peace. And this is also why they use language like calling him the king of Israel. Like they were legitimately like be our king. I think we look at that and we're like, no, he's, he's you know the king. They were like, no, a, a king came to, to rescue us from, from Rome. I mean, they're right that Jesus is the king, but he's a very different kind of king. Um, but I mean, I, I identify with the crowd here. Um, I think we all do a little. I mean, why are we here in this place today together Except that we have seen what Jesus has done and we want a place in his kingdom. Like, isn't that why we're here together? We can't fault the crowd for that. That's what they were doing too. But I think we need to consider what keeps us here. What keeps us here? What keeps us pursuing the kingdom of God when we find out it's not what we expect? That, like, that the kingdom has ways that pushes us or, or like rubs us uncomfortably or if it asks us to give extravagantly in ways we didn't foresee, what expectations do we have of Jesus? This is the question that the the crowd in Jerusalem is prompting us to ask and consider this morning. What, What expectations do we have of Jesus? Why do we celebrate him? How do those expectations shape and inform our posture towards the coming kingdom of God? So when victorious kings or military generals came back from war, kind of like I was saying, there was, there was a parade, they typically rode in on like a, a war horse, like a mighty tall steed, stallion, one of those, thank you. Uh, I mean like a, you know, a big horse. Isn't it telling that Jesus rides in on a donkey? For real, a lowly donkey. Like, this isn't just a, this is what is available. I don't think that that's true. This is, this is a communication, it's a political message. It communicates the upside down nature of the kingdom of God that Jesus is bringing to bear. It's a different kind of kingdom than the people expect. It's a different kind of kingdom than we expect a lot of the time. In our text, Jesus himself is the one who teaches us about the nature of the kingdom of God through what he does. So we've kind of been through this story, but I I want to remind us of the things that happened before and after this. Um, So we are reminded of Jesus' mission, what Jesus does. So even after Judas opposes him more than once, betrays him. Jesus knows this, he knows he's gonna betray him, and in a later chapter, he still washes his feet. Even, even though he knows that the crowd that's chanting for him and cheering for him on the way into Jerusalem will change their chants from celebratory to accusatory in just a few days, he still continues into Jerusalem knowing that he will die at their request. He does not turn around, he does not retreat, he does not revoke The kingdom, not only does he turn his face towards Jerusalem, but he lets himself be carried into the city by a donkey. And Jesus can do this because he has the power over the forces that oppose the kingdom. History marches towards this inescapable end, this this telos, the kingdom of God will abound. God's rule and reign will inevitably be seen in every life and every sphere of life. There is a victory and with a victory comes an end to a conflict and with an end to a conflict comes peace. (laughs) That's why we wave palms today. That is the victory that we celebrate. That is the peace that we celebrate. That is the king that we welcome and the kingdom that we welcome on Palm Sunday. And that's why we wave our palms in celebration of, of this kingdom coming, of this kingdom winning, and of, of the peace that abounds because it's just in the nature of this kingdom. So, as we kind of turn the corner this morning, um, I'm going to close us. Um, what, what I want to do is, is this. Uh, usually, after. Uh, after the message on a Sunday, we uh, take communion together. Today, we're going to be observing communion through our community lunch and our block party, which is going to be so fun, and I hope you guys stay. There's so much fried chicken and fish, you need to eat it all. Um, so we won't be observing communion in, uh, in the way that we do when we walk up here and we have bread and juice. Um, instead, and I want to use this time well, What I'd really like to do is make just a little bit of space. I want to make some space for for the Spirit to guide our thoughts and our hearts around the questions that the characters in our text today have prompted. So what we're going to do is with the time we have, I'm going to invite you to just ask the Spirit to help us as we walk through these questions and reflect on what God might be prompting in us. So as a reminder, here are the questions that the text has brought us today. There are three. What are you being asked to bring that seems extravagant? Where do you see opposition to the kingdom of God? And what expectations do you have of Jesus? So those are the three questions. What are you being asked to bring that seems extravagant? Where do you see opposition to the kingdom of God? What expectations do you have of Jesus? So in just a minute, um, I'm going to pray in just a minute, and the band's going to come up and lead us in a few more songs. And as you reflect and have this time, um, if you want to do that with someone else, if you want to pray through it, if there are things that um, that you feel like God is prompting you, if you don't know what that means and you just feel weird and you want to talk to somebody about it, um, there are prayer stations, the big banners that say prayer on this side and on this side. Um, I'll be over there and um, some of our prayer team and some of our elders will be over there as well to just listen to you and, and, and talk through it. So um, so that's what we're gonna do as I close our time. There's one more thing that I, I wanna talk to us about though before I, um, before I hand it over to, to Charmaine and the band. Um, after we spend some time in reflection and contemplation, um, we are going to celebrate together. We, we can hold these things in tension, the hard stuff of like, I don't know what it means to, um, to confront opposition to the kingdom of God in my life. Is that even a thing that I understand? Um, or just the recognition that it exists in your life. We can, we can hold those things, the hard things that we think about, the hard things that we see in ourselves and in the world in tension with the knowledge that the kingdom of God is here. The kingdom of God is here and we can and we should celebrate that. And we can and we should hope for the day that it comes in its fullness. Even again, even as we wrestle with the ways that we recognize that it's not fully here. So I know that the last song that we're singing today is Everlasting God, which I know y'all know because I hear you sing it. Um, I love that song, and so what, I, what I'm asking for us to do together is we're going to have this time of reflection um, and, and prayer, um, and, and then we're going to celebrate, and we're going to sing this, a song together. And what I want you to do is I want you to stand up and sing out and worship extravagantly to end our time this morning, okay? So that's, that's where we're going the rest of the service. Um, I'm gonna le- We're going to leave the questions up, the three questions up, for, um, for a few minutes, even as the band begins to lead us. Um, and I'm going to pray now to start our time of reflection. So would you pray with me? God, we thank you that, um, we thank you for this week and just, the reminder it is that, um, that your kingdom is real, that your kingdom is something that um, that we can experience, that we can recognize in the world, even if it's not here in its fullness yet. We're just grateful for that. Thank you that you allow us to see your kingdom in the world. Um, I'm not sure, God, what... Um, what it is that you want to do this morning in this in this time, I don't um, I don't know how your spirit moves um, or what it's prompting in others, but I pray, Lord, that we would be sensitive to your spirit. I pray, God, that the things that um, that you're asking for us to consider just bubble up to the surface of our hearts. That we would be open to them. That we would be responsive to you. And I pray, God, that you would just continue to enable us to celebrate well in the midst of, of opposition. Um, yeah, teach us how to live well, God, in this, in this weird in-between time. We are dependent upon you. We thank you that we don't have to do it by ourselves. Thank you that there are other people, just even people in this room that we can walk through this with. Um, So we pray um, that you will, that you will we, we, we acknowledge that you are present here with us. We pray that you will enable us to, to know that. Um, so thank you for this time.